Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Denebria <laughs> Podcast Networks, and as a, and apparently, well, I don't know what's going on down there, but we uh, we are brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee, did I? That's the coughing you're hearing. It's actually Deadly Grounds co- coughing. I think you're actually listening to right now. I am your host. My name is Parasite Steve, aka Steve Van Samson, and uh, I am cohortless tonight, but that's okay because we got a heck of a show for you tonight, folks. Really cool guest this week down in the blood spattered dark of the brig. <laughs> we have an extreme horror writer who seems to uh, have the the whooping cough. He's a podcaster, musician, graphic designer, and the master of the genre known as splatter folk. Thomas R. Clark. Thomas is the author of Summer Home, A Book of Light and Shadow, Good Boy, The Death List, and the Splatterpunk Award-nominated novellas Bella's Boys and Fireflies and Apple Pies. Tom, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Steve. Thanks you for okay there? Me, you got a little... Yeah, it's, it's uh, just it's smoky down throat? here in the dungeon. Ah, gotcha. I don't know why it's smoky, but it is. Oh, that's for weird. Smith, but I can't find him. That is weird. You know, uh, recently we had the brig scrubbed, and uh, it was all shining for the start of season six. But uh, you know, seeing as how you were into writing that extreme stuff, we decided to redecorate. So what's, 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 we need to correct that. I am a splatterpunk author, not an extreme horror author. Even okay. though splatterpunk is extreme horror, it's kind you... of like, I, know, I, I guess I'm, 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 I'm you know, with the verbiage there. I guess the syntax. This is like uh, when a band has to describe what type of music they play. Yeah, like my favorite like, band is Green Lung right now. And they're a, they are a doom folk horror band. Doom folk horror. Now, I wonder if if they would describe themselves as such. or Yes, they do. I... And they actually add other things to it, like <laughs> mushroom tripping and stuff like that. <laughs> cool. I remember uh, being really into uh, power metal in the like late nineties, early two thousands. And, and there's this band Rhapsody. And I remember they were uh, the sub genre of power metal was they were Epic symphonic Hollywood metal. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like Amon and Marth. Are they Viking metal or are they melodic death metal? <laughs> for Vikings. <laughs> By Vikings for Vikings. No, they but say not they're Viking metal. Death metal. We just that's said they're a, a Viking band because they sing yeah, about That's Vikings a totally different thing. When they bring Vikings on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, I hope you're comfy down in the uh, in the in the brig tonight. And uh, for the uninitiated, you can't see much, but we're good. Well, yeah, well, you know, it's it's a bummer because you know we redecorated. We went with kind of like a postmodern viscera motif. I don't know if you, you're getting any of that, but it's you know maybe later the the smoke will be breathed <laughs> away and possibly clear up a little bit. Um, 
so for the uninitiated, can you go into a little bit more depth and explain explain the difference of extreme horror and splatterpunk right. and then splatter folk, which that My is something genre. that I found on your own website. So I know I'm not getting that. No, one. I didn't coin that phrase. Uh, a reviewer um, did. His name's Pan. Interesting. So yeah. So like, what's what's the no, difference? I just ran with that ball. Nice. I, it's a it's a great it's a great term. I had never. Well, it's heard because about I write that. violent folk horror. Well, yeah. well, then it's <laughs> one plus one equals two. Yeah. But and, so, and, what's and, the difference between splatterpunk and extreme horror? Okay, splatterpunk generally has a message to it. Um, that message is usually one that it's socially conscious, okay. or politically conscious, or ethically conscious, empathy conscious. You know, um, splatterpunk stories tend to lean left with their message. I'm going to say that. Um, and Not a lot of punching down with splatterpunk. There's no punching down. There's a lot of punching up. Nice. There certainly is. Now, extreme horror is there for a reason. Extreme horror exists to break taboos. It pushes the envelope. It shatters ceilings that are shouldn't be there. That's what it's supposed to do. And as a subgenre of that, it just gets a little more detailed and niche with splatterpunk. Um, because you know, like my favorite splatterpunk short story of all time is the night they missed the, the, the picture show from Joe R. Lansdale. Nice. And that story uh, just uses blatant examples of racism throughout it hmm. and utter and extreme violence and, and depravity um, to get its moral message across that racism's bad. Sure is. <laughs> you know? It sure is, Tom. <laughs> you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be a fan of Splatterpunk and, and, and be somebody who supports far-right ideology. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know that was a component of it. Um, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not super well versed. We want. There. We want to have progress and change, right? Yeah. We want to achieve that through our fiction. Um, progress and change naturally is leaning left. So that is very true. Um, now, extreme horror. You know, it, 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 like I said, it serves its niche. It's there, mm -hmm. you know, to, to break those ceilings and, and stuff like that. And it's also an entertainment value to it too it's the one uh it's one of the few genres of fiction where a one-star review equals a five-star review <laughs> um you can give you know look at what's happened with aaron beauregard and playground for example okay um, he, he got review bomb on tiktok and it turned into mega sales to him to the point now that he gives back to his readers hmm. um and what a better person or a nicer person than Aaron Beauregard to have is somebody who is a, a, a figurehead or a face for extreme horror and splatter punk right now too. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. You know, okay. you, you can't, you can't, the, the people that write this kind of fiction, they're, they're assumed to be, you know, depraved people, <laughs> but we're not, we're actually, you know, we're just pretty, psychos. Yeah. I mean, we're not I psycho at all. That's true for I think horror at large, and I remember you know I've I've had this conversation with so many people over the over the years, but yeah, and uh, it, it's it's often remarked that even though you know the conception is that any horror writer is you know a depraved psycho, we're the nicest of all. We're the nicest of all the people. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I have yeah. heard, and I like that's my experience. I think well, I think you're a nice guy. And, I, you know, I hope you think I'm a nice guy. And so, we're, you know, hey, there's two of us right there, folks. There you go. You can't well, beat A bunch it. of nice people at Nikon. Yeah, a bunch of nice people at Nikon. There you go. Um, <laughs> they're pretty awesome. So so something like like I'm thinking of, like, movies. 
Um, movie wise, something like okay, something like Teristas or uh, uh, let's see, well, what, what was that other? Let's one go. Let's, was... Since this is a retro podcast, why don't we go sure. retro on this? So okay, okay, at, I'll go. I'll give you a retro. During the eighties, when wait, can I give you one? Can yes. I give you one? How about okay. uh, Maniac? Well. Yes, so I'm thinking no. Maniac is extreme horror, not... Yes, Maniac would be extreme horror, horror, I would okay. say. For that era, because it came out in the late 70s, early 80s, right? Um, late 70s? It was definitely in the... I think I think it was in the 80s with okay. Joe Spinell and uh, to, Caroline at my age, I'm, I'm forgetting these things. Yeah. The thing... Okay, the my my favorite example of a splatterpunk movie mm-hmm. um, and from that era is The Crow. Wow. Okay. And the, quite honestly, the reason being is the man who coined the phrase splatterpunk is co-writer of the screenplay, David J. Really? Scow. I never knew that. Interesting. Now you do. And the That's other guy cool. who wrote the screenplay is John Shirley, who wrote the lyrics to the last three Blue Oyster Cult albums. Huh. That's really interesting. I I never <laughs> thought of The Crow as splatterpunk. Quote it's very ever. much splatterpunk. Look at what wow. happens in that. There's graphic violence throughout it. Yeah. Graphic drug use. There's rape. There's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Eric Draven kills people, he teaches a moral lesson. True. Interesting. Another Interesting. great example. I now, if you want to look at what Splatter Folk would be from that era, we got to mm-hmm. go back a decade earlier for an American werewolf in London. That is Splatter Folk. Oh, okay. Werewolf stories by nature are folklore. Okay. All right. And American Werewolf in London is probably the best example of the genre of fiction that I have written, uh, started writing. And quite honestly, I'm very much influenced by that movie. Um, what are the... Okay. First first off, you have the folk horror trope of, you know, of the thing that lives out in the, on the moor mm-hmm. and attacks people, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. The, what's that? The mystery of that. And you have the city person being david and going to the country you have all that aspect there and then you have the werewolf character creature and you know what people don't understand is that the werewolf is metaphor for the nazi he is metaphor for fascism and when you have an american there is that one scene that kind of drives that home well yes that's why david has those nightmares of the nazis of the nazi zombies coming to get him Hmm. in the original Wolfman movie, it takes place during World War II, yet there is not a single German in that movie, is there? No. No. You know why? Because the Nazi was Larry Talbot, hmm. the Wolfman. Interesting. When that movie was first written, the screenplay was written, it wasn't a pentagram, it was the Star of David. And it wasn't gypsies, it was Jewish. Really? But because of anti-Semitism in Hollywood during that time, they changed it. And, you know, the, traditionally, the gypsy people, the Romani, are just as persecuted as the Jews. So, I don't I don't really see how the logic of them doing that, you take yeah. one persecuted, you know, ethno-religious group and replace it with another persecuted ethno-group. R- right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh and, and, maybe and they quite thought honestly was, yeah maybe they thought the uh, the the gypsies were just a little bit more well be, I you think know it was removed from our society and we knew less about them or something like that and would, it could would, be too it could be too because they're more mysterious to or something interesting yep. i didn't know that 
So I, I mean, I, I love in London, all the humor in it, all the stuff, sex right. in it, all the violence in it. Yeah, that's splatterpunk. Hmm. It's very splatterpunky. Interesting. Very cool. So something like I had just seen this movie. Um, I've kind of, you know, well, th all thanks to Ed Kurtz really got me hooked on finding bad old movies on Tubi. And sometimes they're not bad. Sometimes they're good. Um, I mean, I love old movies in general, but I saw this, the, the blood on Satan's claw last oh, year. Oh, I love that and, movie. And that, that to me feels like that's probably not, you know, splatter folk. It's just like folk horror. It's, it's one of right? the, the Holy grail of original. It was, yeah, it was movies. one of the first ever, right? That, that it, really... it actually is the first ever followed by Witchfinder general. And then, um, the wicker man. Hmm. Those are, and then obviously the everybody grail. I think goes back to the wicker man as, if you know anything about, uh, if you have ever heard the term folk horror, I think that the one that pops into your mind for older movies is The Wicker Man. Newer movies tends to be, I think, like The Witch. Or um, Midsummer. Midsummer, sure. Um, the Ritual. The yep. Ritual is probably ritual was, Adam Neville. The Ritual probably was probably my favorite writer right now. <laughs> um, the Ritual was really great. And uh, they, you know, as, you know, I'm, I'm, as big a monster fan as you will find. And uh, that was, that was a hell of a weird creature. I dug it, you know, definitely something we haven't seen before, which is, you know, the was Loki's and, child. And it was, yeah, it was one of Loki's children. Like he had some ugly kids. Let's just be real. He had a, Come on, he gave birth to Sleipner, the horse. It could have been Sleipner. It could have been. So? It could have been. Who knows? Yeah. But Cause they didn't say they didn't give it a name. They don't say And when you ask Adam about, it, he just says it was, it was a Norse entity. <laughs> it's interesting very cool very very cool i i i really dug that flick for sure i had a great trailer too mm -hmm. and it did have that uh that american werewolf in london sort of vibe you know basically well, it was also very influential on me when i wrote bella's boys because i took advantage of the the way they did the the um scenes in the in the ritual were they weren't in the forest anymore. They were suddenly back in the real world and everything. Mm -hmm. I incorporated that kind of storytelling into Bella's boys. Mm -hmm. I, I found it to be a convenient way to show madness. Hmm. And it worked. Nice. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And it worked. And, and you got a Splatterpunk Award nomination. So. Yes, I did. Pretty cool. I know. Coming out <laughs> the gate with that, man. I'm like, what? Well, here I am one day saying, I mean, I just love to, you know, just go to the Spider Punk Awards someday. Here I am getting nominated. Yeah, you know, there's cool. nothing like getting, you know, affirmation of your art from your peers. Absolutely. So that's why I can't understand why when I, I, I watch, I look at social media and I see when nominations are given out for things, people just being so negative about it. You know, come on. This is, yeah, yeah. who cares? It's a karaoke contest, really, and, the, and fundamentally in the bottom line. That's all it is. It's, well, it's, <laughs> there were, there were, uh, you know, the the preliminary ballot just came out for the the Bram Stoker Awards, and we we had, um, you know, a couple of those people were on our show already, and uh, very very cool, and and one I'll shout out, um, because I haven't talked about it on the show because it literally has happened since it since we recorded last, but uh, our very good friend Morgan Sylvia actually it has been not, uh, put on the preliminary ballot which is it means that yeah, it's that. possible that Todd Kiesling too anybody Todd Kiesling uh who has not been on the show but Morgan was on the show and we had Ed Kurtz on uh who edited the book that her novella was included in that she was right. nominated for which is in the cold cold ground 
Um, so that's just that's just really really fun. Uh, How long know, do you I, think I that the Exorcist Believer is going to stay on the on the list? <laughs> it's not really there, right? It is. <laughs> it is. As like a screenplay. Yeah, that's the best screenplay. What? Yeah. That's that's. It's weird. also been nominated for an Oscar. Really? I'm not casting shade at anything so anybody else right I, here. I haven't heard one. Maybe the reason this has been nominated so is because it is well written. I, I I wouldn't know. I I just I just wasn't interested anyway, and then nobody liked it. Don't waste so I didn't your time, know. man. I'm 56 years old. I can't spend an hour and a half on a bad movie. I won't get oh. the time back. I I love I love spending time on bad movies, but it has to be a certain type. It has to be a certain type. <laughs> and uh, for those of you out there, you might want to check out our last episode, which is all about that. And that was when we had Ed Kurtz on. But um, we uh, we got Thomas here tonight, Mr. R. Clark. So, Tell me, Tom. Uh, so Tell me, okay, Tell me. splatterpunk, splatterfolk, folklore, um, extreme horror. These are these are all like you know strange bedfellows, but there are differences, and I love it. It it really does remind me of music when you know we get very attached to our our sub 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 genres, and somebody else gets it wrong, and it's like it's like oh my god, those are worlds apart, you know. But um, it's <laughs> interesting. Industrial power metal, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is <laughs> this is epic Hollywood metal. Um, so you, you mentioned the Splatterpunk Awards, and that is uh, that's all connected to KillerCon. Yes. And uh, the Splatterpunk Awards. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. They haven't been going on that long, right? This was they were was... going on for a bit. They went on for about a decade, I believe. Oh, and then they went away. And then they went away. Oh, okay. And now they have come back. Okay, so I saw it when they came back because it was like Wrath James White and Brian. Yes, Wrath and and Wrath and Brian Keen decided to bring him back. Bring him back. God okay. bless you. Know, we need more. You know what I miss? I miss Brian Keen's podcast. I really do. I miss it. I do. I can't. I can't wait for his bookstore to open up so I can go down there and get the gossip. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, his bookstore is a uh, Vortex. Vortex yeah. Vortex Books, yeah, it's uh, not open yet, but it's opening soon, and that's yep. in Pennsylvania somewhere. I know, yeah, I don't there know is the a town. Cool but... fund me out there if you guys want to help him. Yeah, uh, have his dream come to life. I'm hoping that Mary sells the, the that art that she's been doing, those book nooks. No, oh, okay. she sells them there because that, that would be cool. That, I'm sure it would be cool. It really would. Um, so yeah, the, I mean that's really cool. So I didn't realize that it they were they had come back. I thought that that was yeah. the initial. They, they left and they came back. Very, very cool. So, when were you nominated for for year two? Was that the original 21. run? I had, yeah, it was no, this oh, it's the new one, just recently. Yeah, okay, cool. So, they because were because I'm a 41. new guy, I'm, I'm a new guy, relatively speaking. My first well, book was published in 2019. My first short story, though, was in 2013. So, interesting. I've been well. You actually have a decent amount, like looking at your like Amazon uh, store, your author page, you have a decent amount of stuff on this page. A lot of uh, a lot of books that are yours and a lot of stories in anthologies and other collections and such. Um, so one of my questions was going to be like, you know, how long have you been how long how long have you been writing just in general? I started writing when I was in third grade, second or third grade. Uh, bad Godzilla fan fiction at first. 
<laughs> Maybe it was good, Godzilla. Bad, bad Planet of the Apes uh, fan fiction. <laughs> hashtag talk about that later. Bad Dracula uh, adaptions. But I mean, that's that's how we learn, right? That's we, how we, we learn, right? Yeah, we write fan fictions based. On, I mean, I wrote. Uh, I did the same thing with like Ninja Turtles, and oh, uh, you know, different playing D and D. Started writing my first yeah. bad sword and sorcery story. Sent it to Stephen King. Got it sent back to me with I don't look at unsolicited manuscripts. <laughs> You know, at least at least it, it it confirmed that the the U.S. Postal Service was was working. Oh was, yeah, here you know that was a know. great time too. Because let me tell you, thirteen year old me sends Stephen King the most toxic fanboy letter of all time, shredding the dead zone to pieces, <laughs> and, oh and asking him for advice at the same breath. All right. <laughs> You know, we learn. We so grow. coked up Stephen King was kind enough to be nice and cordial and send that letter back to me. <laughs> Keep that in mind, people listening. Coked up Stephen King was nice to a toxic fan. Now, now how do you know? How do you, be... how do you know his people didn't just intercept it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> it might have been one of his coked up assistants. You don't know. Doesn't matter. He was kind to me. That's true. Always hold on to that. It was yeah. definitely and that's, that's a lesson we right. all should right. learn from, especially with you know some of the again the drama that hits the horror community constantly. So most recently, again, yeah, it's 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 there's been a couple of people who just uh, really exploded, and I don't know what they're thinking, but you I'm know, glad this uh, is, I, I will say I, I am glad that this is an audio only podcast, so I didn't have to get dressed. Yeah, no, that's good. No, I appreciate uh, I, I appreciate all the hairy man boobs. Uh, they're all for me. Nobody else nobody else gets to see those, but uh, that's right. I'm not going to not say thanks. I mean, thank you. It's uh, good stuff. Um, so, so okay, so like, what is it about? Let's just say the extreme side of horror. What is it about those it genres? Me. Okay, so you you write what scares you personally? Yep. My mom had a That's bunch fair. of miscarriages after I was born. My brother, is, as a result, is seven years younger than me. My wife had multiple miscarries when we tried to conceive, um, multiple DNCs. Hmm. Um, the loss of a child terrifies me, so I kill a shit ton of babies in my stuff because that's what scares me. Just for oh. example. There you go. I mean, hey, that that is uh, that's a common that's a common answer, right? Like we're we're writing. I can't make us. you afraid if I can't. If you can't make yourself. If I can't express the fear. Yeah, I can express that fear because I've lived that fear. Right. It's uh, writing what you know yeah. on a level, you know. Mm -hmm. That's. I mean, that works. That's great. I mean, good answer. Um, yeah. Are and there in the, the preternatural, the supernatural, the mythology, the power of mythology and myth and in a folk store, folk, folk tales? It's very powerful. <clears throat> is it like, is it just the unknown of things that are just well, so much older than our comprehension? That that kind of gets so much me. that it's just that you know, folk horror is the first thing that scares us in our lives. We are taught two things when we are growing up as children. Number one, stay away from that house down the street. Everybody's got that house down the street that they were afraid of and weren't supposed to go near. That's true. Number two, the fucking boogeyman in your closet. Oh, I thought you were going to say like please and thank you and like no look, the boogeyman ways before you cross the street. Oh, the boogeyman. Okay, the boogeyman is number two. 
And then actually, they're tied for number one. The Boogeyman is complete folk horror. Hmm. It's, uh, a, it's a cautionary tale to scare your kids to stay in bed at night. Right, because Not it's cool. so ill-defined that yeah. it's the general unknown. You can loop, <laughs> like, loop anything in with the Boogeyman fear. Like, or what, what dark corner of whatever space are you afraid of? Well, that's where he lives. Well, what specifically are you afraid of? Being eaten, having your feet grabbed at night, yeah. uh, you know, paralyzed, or like, what are you afraid of? Being thrown in a sack and, and taken away and beaten with reeds? Well, the boogeyman just does all that. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll just say he does all that. It's, it's, it's all in his, uh, his wheelhouse. Um, yeah, Quite because... Often. With with creatures like this too, what happens is anticlimactic. It really is. It, it's the it, the build up the, the of the fear of that unknown that you were just talking about mm -hmm. is more exhilarating than what actually happens when the fairy just wants a tooth from you. Because mm. it's a a lot of a lot of mythology and stuff are, are shaggy dog chokes. They really are. Um, Native American mythology, especially. I, I I mentioned this in. I use a story uh, like this one of these uh, in Summer Home. Okay. And in it is a woman is a Native American woman uh, of the Onondaga tribe, um, our tribe out here that we have, part of the uh, Hadwajani or Iroquois. Mm -hmm. They um, have this flying head creature. And the flying head was created uh, as a result of some ambitious teenagers killing their parents. And it came as a revenge thing. And the flying head is just a giant flying head with a big gaping mouth with fangs in it. It's got bat wings and eagle talons, and it eats people. And it was defeated by an old lady eating acorns. Because when it went Love to go it. eat her, she was eating toasted acorns, and she, it looked like she was putting hot coals into her mouth. And the flying head didn't think it could defeat a creature that could eat fire, so it went away. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a very anticlimactic. Well, you know, it, yeah, but it's also fascinating that that's the explanation of what you know what can beat it. Um, so often in, in times, you know, you, you're reading something, so many things are defeated by silver or you know the same sorts of things but i, I love finding word. i love finding the the odd creature the odd myth in whatever world mythology that you know requires some really bizarre just a really weird way of defeating it um i think mike mignola always comes up with creatures like that for um for hellboy and his his yeah i tried to do that i've tried to do that. that with my splatterfolk world because it's a it's a it's a, a link together universe Mm -hmm. um, kind of like King's Castle Rock, and sure. it, it's spread across upstate New York. And um, the good guys are the werewolves and druids in Southern Onondaga County. And I've taken the common tropes for the werewolf and flipped it on its head. Instead of these guys being Nazis, they are the complete opposite. Um, and they live to torture those who are fascists. <laughs> I mean, hey, I love a good hero monster. Yes, right? yes. I mean, I mean, back to Godzilla. I love when Godzilla's a cheesy good good guy. I, I don't oh know. yeah, 
I don't, yeah, I don't know how but it's also good when Godzilla's just that force of nature, just destroying everything in its path. Ah, see, that's the thing with Godzilla. He's great in all flavors. Um, he is in my, in my opinion, mine too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we're, it's, it's interesting. We're getting, you know, both flavors right in a row. Uh, I know a, this has been great, man. We're getting that. We're getting new planet of the apes. We're getting, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. so good, man. We're yeah. It's, a good it's, time. It, you know, it is, it is a fun time to be like just a, a geeky movie fan. Um, and you know, I, I, we don't need to go into all the, the negativity, uh, but it is, it is frustrating to me personally, you know, as, as a person who was starved of a lot of that kind of stuff growing up, um, you know, a, a fan of superheroes, a fan of, you know, lot, lots of just, just yeah. sci-fi and fantasy and all sorts of stuff like that. It was, it was very rare. To, I try to remember people, remind people, it's like, they don't it's remember like, the dark times, yeah, Steve. The, like, man, like. <laughs> How about we just like keep moving when we don't like something and just find yeah. something else? There's like 10 trillion things coming out on every streaming service ever. The thing uh, is, is now we have a bar to measure Marvel and superhero movies by. Yeah, and that but you bar know what? is pretty high. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, but bars can prevent you from enjoying like everything. Well, they, they are yeah, because you've got, you've got the doomsayer journalists out there. Mm. That are writing enthusiasm reviews just to get clickbait from the negative algorithm that Facebook and all the other social media oh yeah my, platforms utilize. The ones that drive me nuts are like especially like the types of headlines that uh, that pose the question: Does it suck? Like, can we? Can you just like like flip that and be like, is it great? How about that? How it's it's essentially going to be the same. Well, I won't get any hits because the algorithm will. Pick I it know up. it sucks. I know. No, I I understand it. I just hate it. Um, I don't have to like it. That's the thing. I, I make posts on social media. I make them ambiguous just so they can create their own argument. <laughs> and will you see my, anything. like, will you see my hairy man boobs today? Like, <laughs> which is, which is going to win a fight, <laughs> a honey badger or a wolverine, you know, <laughs> who's Marvel's, Marvel's honey badger? You? Does Marvel have a honey badger? A dolphin character? I feel like they should. Or a bonobo. <laughs> You know? uh, I don't know. Yeah. If you're swimming, I guess it would be the bone of bone, but you'd be screwed by the dolphin, literally. <laughs> I don't know the other one. What's the other one? The bonobo, the chimpanzees. Oh, not oh, really oh. chimps. The bobos, yeah, yeah. bonobos. The bonobos. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. They're like the other, the other chimp. Yeah, they're they're the true missing link. <laughs> they're, they're the slightly, they're the chimpanzee that sits smaller. in the cage at the old at the petting zoo and just throws poop at you all day long, <clears> sitting on a swing. Poop it in its hand and throwing it at people. Because <laughs> I mean, it someone, knows. Someone's, you know, poop, bonobo poop ain't going to fling itself. That's for No, sure. it's not. The bonobo's going to throw it on as, as fast as and hard as it can. I had, you know, I mean, we're going to get to more apes. So technically, this is kind of relevant. Yes. And it's kind of like it a, is, it is a because foreshadowing. Yeah. It is, it is too, because especially with the, with the one there with Franco in it. Yeah, okay. One of okay, them we'll was a bottle, bottle, bottle. Yeah, the bad right, one. We'll there. Yeah. We'll um. There. So let's before we before we get to James Franco and uh, more uh, ape poop. Your newest collection, which is not full of ape poop at all, it although there is a, there is a story in it uh, that is called the Yeti Shit Blue. So there is some <laughs> shit in this book. So that story. Let me tell you the story behind that story. 
Everything so hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so the name of the book is called Immoral, Immoral Dilemmas. Dilemmas. Immoral Dilemmas. It was released last December by Night Swan Press. That's my personal and, imprint. Uh, what's that? That's my personal imprint. Oh, very, very cool. Congratulations on uh, on that. That's really Thank cool. Uh, the book looks great. I got to read a couple of the stories. Um, it. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of your uh, your blurb. I always like to do that to start things off. This is from. Okay. This is from Amazon. It says immoral dilemmas featuring the best of Clark's no holds barred brand of splatterpunk in ten curated stories, guaranteed to make you squirm. And ponder the intentions of those around you, both living and undead. <laughs> so, yeah. So, go ahead. All right. Tell us about this collection and uh, let's talk some Yeti shit. <laughs> What's the Yeti shit blues? Well, this is straight splatterpunk. This collection, there's no full core stories in it. Okay. Um, there is a couple of stories that are part of my splatter folk world. Mm. Um, one of them being the story that's getting a shit ton of attention right now sabrika a la mode um it is the most vile thing i've ever written hmm. um it made me almost stop wanting to write splatterpunk um especially when my teacher was telling me that i was holding back in the story and i needed to push it harder wow i'm like dude it's already disturbing me right now as it is yeah what else can i do so i i submitted the story out a couple of times um in that form and it kept getting rejected and the editor said this is good but you don't go far enough i'm like really i don't go far enough because i think i i really thought that i did i really thought i went over that edge so i i, I sat there thinking about it and um one of the characters in summer home has gotten really popular with my readers it's she's my take on lorraine warren oh yeah I mean, her name's her name's elaine buffett and get it, Warren Buffett. I'm with you. Picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> so you've got Ed and Lorraine Warren, and I've got yeah. Ted, Ted. I've got Ted and Elaine Buffett. Okay. All right. Cool. And of the course, the difference for... between the Buffets and the Warrens is that the Buffets aren't full of shit, and Elaine and really course, can talk to ghosts. And of course, these are the the characters, but they were, of course, real life people based on the uh, the real life people in the Paranormal Activity movies, right? Or Conjuring, no, no, Conjuring, the Conjuring. Movies. Conjuring. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um I decided, you know what? I'm gonna add Elaine to this story and see what happens. Okay. So originally it was written like um the assignment from my teacher was to write a story completely in the vernacular of the narrator. So I made him write sound or in in in, in like somebody from upstate New York. And we have a certain way we talk up here, certain verbiage that we use. They're like don't and doesn't are the same word. Okay. okay. Just for example. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just saying. Uh, just um, saying doesn't correct me. Okay. So uh, one of my favorite short stories of all time is Rant from Nancy A. Collins. And that's a, a basically a 3,000 word run on sentence of the Antichrist oh, declaring his <laughs> what he's going to do. <laughs> so this was. He doesn't take a breath. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. So by adding Elaine to it and turning it into an interview, it went from being a a heartless story with, that didn't go far enough to being fried green tomatoes meets the sixth sense. Hmm. Yeah. 
I, adding Elaine to that was the best thing that I could have done because she's such an empathetic person and she's such an empathetic character. And I've written three more stories with her since. Hmm. So that was the first, the, the original the, story with this. Game. Yeah. The, the, the first, this one was the first time I put her into a story and this story was written for uh, the uh, Brad and Amicon too. The anthology that was uh, written for Brad Tierney uh, to help him with the uh, expenses from his wife's passing. Oh, okay. Yeah. God bless her. And we love, we all love Brad in the, in the horror community. He's one of the, one of the great super fans. So, um, yeah. So I was proud to put it in there. I'm proud to, I, was, I put it in this book too, because there wasn't a rights thing. We didn't do a rights thing with it. So I wanted the story to see as many eyes as possible. Yeah. So it's in this, it's in that, and I'm getting buzzes that, you know, some people have suggested it for the Splatterpunks. So if I get a nomination for it, great. If not, I'm, I'm still happy because mm -hmm. I got the story and, it, and it's got heart to it now. Um, Yeti Shit Blues, on the other hand, is every batshit crazy thing that has happened to me. <laughs> Most of it, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of the story that says everything in this story is true, and it is. Except for the machine gun stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the machine gun stuff didn't happen. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened. And that's a Shaggy Dog story, too, that was written like that. Now, I've gotten a couple other stories with Rick, the contractor, in them. Mm -hmm. um, but they haven't matched the fun of Yeti Ship Blues. Because I, I had a blast writing that, and it's it's a fun story. That's one of the ones I read. Yeah, one well, um, of my friends is like, she goes, "A yeti shits on my lawn." I'm like, "Autumn, how can a yeti shit on your lawn? We don't have yetis here. They're in the Himalayas. No, this is a yeti. It had a little cone head and everything. <laughs> same <laughs> cryptid. It's just a different colloquialism. Yeah, I just wrote it in like that. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, this this book was uh, it's ten of my best splatterpunk stories um there's a really awesome novella in the front of it called dropping karma that uh, fans of mine could have bought as a standalone chat book during convention mm -hmm. season last year and um the story uh what fragile beings are we is basically my take on the dungeon master of dewitt new york um back in the 90s um uh, this guy uh was kidnapping women and putting them in his basement and they had stockholm syndrome so bad he could take them out to karaoke whoa. guess who met them at karaoke this guy whoa yeah there's a 48 hours episode on youtube about him i'll wow. send you the information on him totally a crap. lot of the stuff that i write is about stuff that i've encountered in my life wow like my sister's boyfriend or her cover boyfriend in high school was eaten alive by cannibals. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. I have that's my only reaction for that particular comment. Google Pazuzu Alligard. I'm, I'm gonna He's write a guy in Pazuzu 2008. Alligard. He was okay. arrested for killing Josh. Wow, that's uh, that's unbelievable. I wasn't prepared for that, Tom. Dude, I write what I know. <laughs> wow. All right, then. we established that already, didn't we? So, 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 what's the name of your town? So I can remember to Syracuse, never go New there, York, buddy. But he got eight in South Carolina or North Carolina. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, nobody's yeah. eating 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 people in Syracuse, right? I mean, I've been to Syracuse. Uh, you never know. 
<laughs> I had really, really great poutine in Syracuse. I'm sure you did. It was probably at the Bull and Bear. I don't remember the name of the place, but man, it was awesome. You could like upgrade any fries to to poutine, and there's oh like yeah, you were at Bull and Bear. Oh man, so good. You were at the Bull and Bear Roadhouse. That's where you were. <laughs> uh-huh, DJ Every there, restaurant yeah. should be like that. I want to upgrade fries all the time to poutine. That's that's. Well, if you read my books, you're going to learn a lot about upstate New York cuisine too, and the things that were invented here, like half moon cookies, are from up here. I like half moon cookies. Now, would you like the half moon cookies that are hard or the ones that are cake? Oh, I don't know. I, I prefer the crunchy ones. I think. I think okay. Do you know why the crunchy ones exist? I do not. Here's some trivia about upstate New York. Um. The lady that invented Half Moon Cookies and started making them out in Utica um, had her recipe in her place. And this guy from downstate would always come up there and order to get the cookies from her. And um, he stole the recipe and brought it down to New York City. And when he made it and it didn't come out all cakey, it came out crunchy instead, he got pretty mad. But because he did it, he sold them at his shop anyway. And they sold like mad Mm. because she didn't put the baking powder on the recipe. Oh, <laughs> those wily old grandmas! Yep, keeping some of their secrets. Yep. You know, chicken wings are from up here, from Buffalo. Uh, we have salt potatoes. Salt potatoes are little baby whites boiled in a salt brine. And that was in. that was in one of your stories. The salt yes. potatoes. Yeah, I had to look mm-hmm. it up. Yep, and uh, also uh, the original barbecue chicken is from up here. Uh, Cornell chicken. Really. <laughs> Yep. Barbecue chicken? Well, barbecue, you can't barbecue chicken traditionally like you would um, um, pork or beef. Pork or, yeah. Yeah, it's because of the the way chicken is. So the scientists at Cornell University came up with the mathematical equation for the right ingredients to be able to marinate chicken properly. And it's basically a thing called speedy chicken. It's not chicken. rocket science, folks, but it is chicken. But it science. is science. It's chicken science, and <laughs> and that's it, that's still cool. This is the same recipe that's used across the country now by every church barbecue, every firehouse, American Legion that does it. They use the same recipe, and all it basically is is Italian dressing with an egg in it. Let's <laughs> see. Like I said, not rocket science, but still <laughs> impressive. Yep. Somebody still had to figure it out, okay? Yeah, at, Cor- at an Ivy League school, Cornell University. I mean, I didn't figure it out, so somebody did. Um, so, interesting stuff. I, <clears throat> I also read the novella, Dropping Karma, and, you know, I don't want to give... Uh, too much away or anything but like this story was was very fascinating it was very different than anything i i had read um it's very much inspired by um all you zombies from robert heinlein okay um have you ever seen the movie predestination with uh, ethan hawk in it that's a film adaption of all you zombies okay it's uh basically the story in that is a man goes back in time has sex with himself as a woman gives birth to a child that becomes himself and goes back. It, it's a complete messed up loop and it's, it's very trans progressive. It's, I wanted yeah, to write there, something like that. And that's okay. why I did drop. Okay. Dropping karma is that meets Donnie Darko. It is, it is very much, it, there is a, a pretty effect. strong Darko vibe. Um, but yeah, basically you have these, these vignettes, uh, you know, for the first part of it. 
anyway that that are you know detailing all these ways near death character they're all near death experiences that i had dying really they're all yep wow every one of those is a, except for the easter bunny thing that was a suicide <laughs> that i witnessed at the mall oh my Paris, god the really mall. a guy oh, jumped or jumped and landed at the feet of the easter bunny wow and we were my buddy uh, at the time uh, was the fire chief for Marcellus Fire Department, and he was the first responder there for it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that that's a whole other paint job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought um, it felt the, the bunny imagery felt good as a as an homage to Donnie Darko and these kind of mind warping. And it was it was some much needed levity, I think. Yes. You, know, you had uh, at that point. It was it's it's just because it's very. Uh, it, it, it's sort of, it's sort of, yeah, it's lyrical. I was going to say musical. It's, it's repet, it's repetitive in the way that you're writing these little, these stanzas, these little uh, sections, and uh, yeah, it very much has the same beginning, same end. They kind of, you know, as George Lucas likes to say, you know, they, they, uh, they, they, uh, they rhyme, they rhyme. Yes, um, not literally, but um, and uh, and you're you're following the character throughout uh, their life as they're experiencing all these different things. And then you sort of get to the Easter bunny part and it's the first time that, you know, there's something that's not uh, <laughs> instantly terrible. Um, but it's very, very good. And it's very different, very well written. Um, and uh, I really, really was just very, very constantly fascinated. And uh, it's definitely a story that, you know, yeah, the challenge with that was dying sure. to see what's good, where this is going sort of a thing. The challenge with that story, though, was making sure that the reader understood that this person was beginning another life and what was going on and the differences between the two of them. Well, fair enough. But I think that it's sort of one of those things that if they don't, it doesn't matter. Just like in the same way that like something like Donnie Darko doesn't have to have one answer. It's right. almost better that it doesn't. It's almost better to be like, yeah. Um, what do you want it to be like my favorite example of that is like john carpenter's the thing like he's never i don't think there's an answer to any of the questions <laughs> that everybody has and mm -hmm. i think you know certainly he's never answered it um you know if he had the money he will who that's what he says yeah he's like but oh he just wants to play fucking video games so leave him alone yep. but um but yeah i mean you know something like you know everybody always you know the big one is 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 who's who's the thing at the end is it mccready or is it uh keith david or or is it neither Childs. of them childs yeah <clears throat> and Child. um yes well well so so says you um so i mean who knows uh but the and then the other one that always got me the, the my big question is you know because i always try every time i every time i watch it i try to track it and try to figure out like who's infected first when is it you know all these things and that not knowing is the fun of it you know and wondering constantly forever after all these decades is such a big part of the fun of it so i think that that story is um it sort of doesn't matter if the reader isn't getting it on the exact level that you are like i was i was really going multiverse yeah. i was really feeling like you know because we're doing all these marvel because that's movies. what it is yeah. i wrote this story before marvel went multiverse yeah well <laughs> <laughs> well neither one of you invented it but that's okay no so michael moorcock did so this this uh this, i love uh, so the multiverse yeah but i love how you worked and i just wanted to mention i wanted to remember to mention this the uh because i didn't write it down in my notes uh there's the the whole um uh, mandela effect yes 
right that you that you do but there's one part where you're like oh uh so you will basically basically you say well every time that a death happens it's like you come out of it and there's a new mandela effect thing so like oh wasn't the bernstein bears spelled different it's like oh well it was before and so now it's different things things change yep. and uh one of the things you say is that you're like well i went to the movies and i went to see some movie about a a genie starring sinbad <laughs> <laughs> which is a famous Mandela yep. effect circumstance that a lot of people swear that there was a movie starring the comic Sinbad where he played a genie. Only it never actually happened. So right. um, I, I thought that that was I, really I thought funny. That was one that you like good. That yeah, would have been like, a real I good. Because like I had mentioned it a couple of times, like with the Big Mac truck and Mac truck. Because at one mm -hmm. point, Big Mac Mac was called Big Mac. Oh. <laughs> oh, so that one I wasn't sure why. Yeah. See, I didn't get that one. Yeah. I didn't get that one, but I, I remember it, you know, in the, in the, in the text, but yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure what you were getting at. There, one so thing I like to do with my fiction is I like to blend the reality with fiction. So some things that happen in my stories are real things. Hmm. I'll mention, I'll reference real things quite often and I'll mix them with that's why I love using upstate New York as a sandbox to play in because mm -hmm. I can just use so many different regional things that people from up here will recognize, but people out from the area will be able to recognize as being what they are, mm. you know, because they're, they have their own version of it there. And I mean, in, in a way that's kind of like your own folklore, right? I mean, that's yes. basically it's folk horror in a different, slightly different way. Yep. I'm, I'm creating my own folklore. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the next novel novella I'm working on right now is the curse of Katie elder. I, I crashed the freaking the manuscript once and I'm rebuilding it now. And thank God I did that because sometimes when you go back to something and rewrite it, it it's better. And some of most of what I wrote on that before I wrote before I, uh, a red blood meridian and B um, got better at what I do. Um, Cause we can always improve as our art and our craft. And I take, you know, workshops almost every month. Uh, Garrett cooks my pr primary teacher, but I have many people that I look, look out to and reach out to for advice. And I take what they say to me to heart and I, I apply it as much as I can. Um, and I think it makes me a better writer. In the stuff that I'm writing lately, um, I, I'm shocked that I'm writing it. Yeah, I'm like, this is just something that I wrote. This is pretty goddamn good. <laughs> that's a great reaction to have. Yeah, I mean, so I'm that's, happy that's with not what even I'm an doing. Ego thing. I mean, at some point, you you have to have the confidence. And yeah, what that's what it is. It is. I'm I'm confident in what I do right now. That's what it is. It absolutely is. I, mean, I think that's great and we should all strive to to you know learn and keep growing and keep mm -hmm. improving and it doesn't mean i'm just because i'm confident doesn't mean i'm gonna stop taking schooling because i can always learn more garrett can always push me in different directions and, mm -hmm. and push me further <clears throat> so you talked about how you had to you know keep being pushed and pushed and pushed to to you know go further over the line for that one story well, i didn't have to go over the line because what i did was i changed it from being just one guy ranting to him holding back from being too graphic to an old lady hmm. and that's right, what added but, the heart to it right but but you had that you had that hesitation before when you were first getting the uh the criticism i'm just wondering is there something as as a writer is are there any lines that you are unwilling to cross or are there ones that maybe you're slightly hesitant to cross 
or that you were were hesitant at first and it took a little bit to gather up the courage and say no I, no god damn it i'm going to do this um for the stories that i want to tell i don't think there's anything that i'm going to have to worry about with that mm -hmm. um one of the mm -hmm. pieces that i'm that i've got in the pipeline um and it's part of the splatter folk stories involves um which is in the adirondack mountains okay. and um they have a bee god <laughs> and um i reached out to patrick freevald sure. for advice on bees and the first well, thing he, he said to me are they going to be used in a horror manner i said i don't believe so they're just worshipped by these witches and quite honestly the reason that i want to have them in there is for one spell in particular that i want to be to use in the book which is the singing of the bees it's a, a it's a classic italian witch spell where they go and they sing to the bees and the bees tell them who they're going to love and fall in love with so i wanted to use that spell in this book um so i went because i so i gotta have bees in it as a result mm -hmm. so i went to pat for it and he's like i don't want to help if you're going to use them like it's jaws i said you're right so i'm not going to use them in, in any aspect for this except for the spell in the beginning and later on you see a beehive <laughs> but he's right because of you know those those movies that we loved growing up, those those animal disaster movies, those, thanks, uh, like the swarm and stuff. This thank you, the seventies. Um, <laughs> you know, many you know animals like bees have a bad rap, and the leapists. We don't want. We want to progress change, right? We want to have progressive, positive change, right, Steve? As we talked about earlier, right? So right, like uh, I want justice for my mutant bears. Right. Oh, well, we'll talk about that. It's funny you say that because I'm watching True Detective right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, we don't want to have that with with the bees anymore. We want to have present the bees in a positive manner. Sure. So yes, they are an animal. They are insects. They are just nature. They are part of nature. That's all they are. I mean, sh uh, you know, there's a lot of shark defenders out there. So um, absolutely, and I agree with them. Yeah, I won't swim in salt water because of those goddamn movies, but still. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jaws was so effective; it it made me scared to swim in the pool. I mean, that's Try how seeing Jaws at nine years old, no, eight years old in the drive-in with your parents. I I I couldn't. It was a physical impossibility. I wasn't. I, I, I didn't go into anything but a pool all year. I stayed out of Oneida Lake, afraid of carp. Fair enough. Fair enough. <clears throat> what about the prophecy? Okay. Did it, did it it's, make you? Here's the uh, thing. Here's the thing. Did, with the did it make you a scared to go, to go uh, sleeping bagging in the? You woods? don't understand. You don't get it. Okay. I live in the place that has the most mercury poisoned lake in the world in it, and the whole concept behind oh, prophecy is mercury poisoning and what it does to creatures. Thanks, Talia Shire, and humans. So I live prophecy. I'm afraid of a goddamn giant mutant bear fish frog thing constantly. <laughs> you don't get it. And nothing has terrified me more in my life next to Pet Cemetery than 
that goddamn commercial for prophecy where the kid gets hit in the sleeping bag and it's all <laughs> freaking feathers. It's pure comedy, though. I mean, like, come on. At least now you can see that, right? Like, you can see that as the funniest kill in any movie. It still like, scares me. Oh, come on. I'm going to say it right now. There is no more hilarious kill in any movie than the sleeping bag kid in the prophecy. That is sleep in a sleeping bag because of that movie to this day. I'm 56 (laughs) years old. You know, every I've, I've had a cough. I've had a really bad cough all week. And and paperback. (laughs) What's that? I have every edition of the novelization of that. Oh, movie see, see, I knew, I knew this was going to be a, a good track to go down. I was just going to say, like, I've had a really bad cough all week, and we were actually supposed to record one week ago today, but I had to tap out. It's the only time I've ever done that in an interview for Retro Octopus. By that the movie's way, folk horror too, Steve. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, I was just going to say like, I am so glad I'm doing a lot of laughing tonight. Like every day up till today, like the slightest chuckle would send me into a, a fit of coughing. So I'm just really proud of myself. I just want, <laughs> I just, for you. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Only it's another 35 seconds worth of that. Yeah. So I just wanted, I just wanted to put that out there. Really just. Really proud. Well, I'm glad I'm able movie. to. I'm glad we have been able to. Over. Yeah, we cleared it up. It cleared up. It needed one exact week, one full week. Yes, Katahdin the bear. That's right. And the uh, the end, the end where you get one shot of uh, the male bear. That is uh, nobody really understood. I think unless you read the book, that that's yeah. what you were seeing in that one shot. But it's a great yeah. final image, and it's a totally different creature, and it's really really fun. It is now. This is there are two movies that uh, since we you know George Lucas went in and fondled all the Star Wars movies as many times as he could, why can't we just go back and fix the bad special effects in old movies? <laughs> oh, I don't want to. No, leave the rest of it alone. No, just give it better special effects. No, I love the. Are you kidding me? Never. That's no. go Good. back in time. Fix the freaking bear pig mutant it's thing perfect. from Prophecy. No, it's perfect. Fix it. No, it's perfect. I will not. It's part I, of, love, I, love, I love using the, prophecy as an example of what would have happened if Bruce the shark worked in Jaws. I guess so. I guess that's like, exactly what would have happened in Jaws. It would have sucked. Yeah, yeah. It would have, well, yeah, because all the all the flaws are laid bare, and they hid them in Jaws, which was very this, smart. But Frankenheimer um, hid them in this movie right up to the point where that thing came out. <laughs> That movie was great, dude. I, dude, I, I love that stuff. I, I mean, I really do like love special effects of all types, good and bad. I find them very charming, even the bad ones. And I've had this conversation. Are you familiar with the movie the uh, the giant claw? Where it's like a a marionette. It's a intergalactic space buzzard. It's like this goggle eye. I'm sure you've seen it. It's like this goggle eye marionette vulture puppet that they have menacing all the jets that are in the movie and stuff. Um, it's really, 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 really bad. And um, it's sort of famously uh, was supposed to be a Ray Harryhausen creature. And um, <clears throat> he wanted to do it, but they couldn't afford him. And so it ended up, they shipped it out to some company in Mexico and they, uh, they did the special some effects. company in Mexico. Yeah. Some company in Mexico that like has no other, no other claim to fame. Other than they made the giant claw, and um, and it's it's so funny because like I've had conversations with people and people are like, 
oh my god can you imagine like i wish ray harryhausen had done this and like look i love harryhausen i have a poster behind me of the beast and 20,000 fathoms i love harryhausen but like you know what though if it had been a harryhausen joint we it would have just been another harryhausen vulture which we've already seen a couple of times and uh it sort of wouldn't have any of the notoriety that it does. The badness, the unique badness of that marionette. At it, I mean, it truly is like Redoctopus. Okay, like it is the dumbest <laughs> thing that you've ever seen. And I love it for that to no end because it was done once. Like if that became a thing or something like, you know, I'd probably wouldn't feel the same, but. Anyway, track down the giant claw. Even if you just see like a clip of it on YouTube, it's uh, really easy to find. And uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that you will recognize it, and you've seen it before. And you just my aren't, movie aren't on that level is uh, the Land of Time Forgot, the the, the Zarkov produced. Sure, Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptation. I have a poster of that on that wall that you can't see. <laughs> I, I have the poster downstairs, the one sheet. I also have the Marvel Comics original comic of it because i had it when i was a boy i have the one sheet of uh at the earth's core oh you do yeah oh i have a one sheet of prophecy you oh nice Very yeah, the, with, cool. the, with the egg so, i mean that that poster is like so goddamn amazing it right? is it um is. yeah i love i love at the earth there's core. just one guy that goes and sells posters at conventions in upstate new york here and he has many of them so i think that that guy he he must do scare when when scarecon was the thing was he always at scarecon is that a different person different guy okay because i, bought, so I, I got, bought my escape from new york poster from the scarecon guy okay so when scarecon was going on they they did have them here too they had them in massachusetts they did it a few times and from that guy i bought i only have two like treasured original posters one of them is at the earth's core and the other one is a one of the tall, skinny sizes, you know, the, the skinny uh -huh. types of um, Mel Brooks' um, History of the World. Oh, nice. Um, and that I got from the, the Scaracon guy. I've never seen him at any other convention down here, so it, it makes sense that he's just from New York. I, I have a trio. I have a bunch of uh, prize one sheets. I've got uh, the original... Um, advanced one sheet for last of the mohicans that says the first american hero on it it just got yeah. a picture of daniel day lewis sure i've got the original one sheet for conan the barbarian oh, okay cool um i've got the one sheet for empire strikes back nice wow. <laughs> that wasn't cheap I bet. I bet. <laughs> well that's the thing these old these old original posters are just yeah. uh they're they're pricey but you know um the good good news is, folks, the uh, the cheapo reproductions look pretty damn. Yes, pretty they damn do. Much. I have a reproduction of uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I have a reproduction of uh, King Kong, because yeah. any any of the seventy six King Kongs that you try to get are really pricey. And I don't know how because they were everywhere when I was a kid. You couldn't blink without finding a poster for that freaking movie. <laughs> All right, so why they are so expensive? So I don't Lang get one? it. The Jessica Lang one? Yes. Yeah. That's that's why I have a, I have a beard because of that movie. Because of Jeff, Jeff Bridges? Bridges in that movie. <laughs> it's the only reason I have a beard. He Fair was enough. the coolest motherfucker in the world. Why? Because he got <laughs> Jessica Lang. <laughs> Good stuff. Um. So let's let's say like 
let's ask this now. We, we're getting we're getting a little long in the tooth. We're already over an hour. Do you want to do a little reading for us tonight, Tom? Yeah, no, we don't have to do a reading. Let's just talk about Planet of the Apes. <laughs> okay, that's what you really want to do. If you want to um, hear my readings, go to, go to see me at a convention. Okay, I do better at a live reading of people because I do audience participation. It's fun. Sweet. Fun. We do, did you read For the Love of the Game? I did, I've never read it, no. Okay, that's my story it's, that closes out Immoral Dilemmas. That's the story I do live readings of. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I change the ending sometimes. Oh, cool. Because it's about a home run derby. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just read the two stories. I read uh, Dropping Karma and Yeti Shit Blues were the two I read. Um, um, yeah. Um, you, just, you'll recognize some people. Armand Rosamelia is in that story. Mm. Yeah. Yep, he's a baseball player. Yeah. But yeah, um, for the love of the game, that's the story I read live. Um, my goal with that is eventually to have somebody pass out at a live reading from this story uh, uh, in Chuck Bahalnik fashion from Guts. Sure. Um, I wrote the story with the same pattern in it um, as Guts, uh, where you are beheld into a whole bunch of hilarious shit until you are given that quote unquote nasty curveball, serving in film curveball. And you're like, should I be laughing at this anymore? And your toxology and your blood changes and you pass out. <laughs> Also not rocket science, but science nonetheless. Yes, and it's you know what? That's why we sing in church, too, because when you sing in church, it oxygenates your blood, and it makes you more susceptible to influence. Did they invent that in Syracuse as well? No, they invented that over in the church. Uh, <laughs> just checking. I mean, I don't know. At this point, Religion. I'm questioning everything, Tom. Like, I have no idea. What well, there's a lot of stuff that was invented up here. The Bracken device that you put your foot in to get measured. For shoes, that was invented in Syracuse. Uh, we invented fluff and tang. You did, yeah, yeah. For the air, for for, for NASA. Well, well, it was actually the army. Uh, ah. Tang, tang was the army. It was oh, invented really? in uh, Natick, Massachusetts, where my wife works. So, nice. uh, right at the same army base. In fact, but, the uh, the shot clock from the NBA was invented in Syracuse. There you go. The original shot clock itself sits in downtown and it counts down from 24 to zero all day long. <laughs> there you go. Cause you know, that's, that's a thing that you need, you need something to do in Syracuse. I'm an Uber driver too for my day job. So I got to have this knowledge, you know, this, sure. this, this useless knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise like, you know, you're just going to have a, people are going to have perfectly nice, quiet rides and you gotta, you gotta ruin yeah. that. Well, I live in Oz. I live in Munch. I per, actually, I live in Munchkinville. Syracuse is Oz. Okay. Um, back in the 1800s, there's this kid named Frank that went to school in North Syracuse, New York. And every day he walked down this plank road. Guess what color that plank road was? Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with yellow. Yes, it was yellow. And when he walked to school, he walked this by is little Frankie bomb. Oh yeah. Little Frankie bomb. Yes. And as he walked past Hafner's flower fields that were full of geraniums, geraniums uh -huh. are red, right? No poppies. They look like poppies, don't they? Yeah. yeah. If you went to Syracuse, you'd have to cut through the apple forest that was between Syracuse and, Mon and North Syracuse. <laughs> and, and this is the best part. Guess who the Wicked Witch was? Your mom. You ever heard of a thing called Lake Effect Snow? Uh, no. Lake Effect Snow is something that hits states that border great lakes oh. when the wind blows from the west to the east 
it picks up the moisture across the lakes and it dumps mm-hmm. it on the land when it hits the land. That's why oh. my area where I live in is notorious for getting large amounts of snow. Buffalo, Cleveland, mm-hmm. places like that. Okay. What Other happens when you that rock? Yes. What happens when you put water on snow, Steve? What does it do? Well, it freezes, Tom. No, it doesn't. It melts. It would melt. Okay. So the flying monkeys are the wind, and the wicked witch is the snow. (laughs) I failed. I failed the test. Again, getting back to we write what we know. I live in a place that is full of fantasy, dude. I live in Oz. <laughs> you live in a fantasy world. Well, um, back in the day, Syracuse imagine, University. A, Syracuse is a magical place. Is what Syracuse University used to have a castle on its campus, and the spire was so tall, you could see it on the horizon from North Syracuse, the same as you can see the spire of Oz from Munchkinville on the horizon. Wow. And so uh, where does where does Jack the Pumpkinhead come in? I don't I know. Mean, Maybe for or, or the the patchwork girl fields. is that was was that a was patchwork girl just like some some chick that little Frankie bomb dated in, in school and because she could have been who knows together. I mean who knows I don't know all I know um, is back in that time period Syracuse resembled Venice Italy it was hmm. full of uh, canals and aqueducts because <clears throat> of uh, the Erie Canal really interesting yep. I had no idea I want to write a story that take place during that era yeah just because of that. Um, I kind of touched on that time period in Giants, uh, one of my McIntyre stories. Um, but I didn't get into the waterways and the canal and whatnot too much in the story. Well, that sounds perfect. That sounds very interesting. I didn't know any of that. This has been a very interesting conversation, Tom, and you've taught me a lot of stuff that I didn't no, know. No, it's just the knowledge that I have, Steve. Yes. Yes, and I really, I really feel like the water on snow thing was a trap, and no matter which way I answered was going to be wrong. But well, what happens when you pour water on the Wicked Witch? Well, I mean, it melts. Okay, fine. I suppose. I guess that's what you All right. Well, I anyway. The Wicked Witch. I'm not mad. West, I'm, right? not, I'm not butthurt about getting it wrong. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, all right. So <clears throat> let's uh, let's let's dive into the final topic that you clearly have been alluding to throughout the evening. When I was a little boy, I was seven years old. I was good all week long because the week before when we got the TV guide, yeah. the back of the TV guide said next week, network television premiere of Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. And it was on a school night. And you were going to get to watch it? As long as I was a good boy. Oh, well, and was little Tommy a good boy that You're goddamn week? right I was. Goddamn right. Um, life-changing experience that night. So now, okay. So this this is a, a franchise. Let's 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 back it up a little bit before we dive right in. It's a franchise that you said I I asked you what are you, you know you, some of your big fandoms, and you said Battlestar Galactica and Planet of the Apes, which you claim to be your Star Wars. It is not. It is my not, Star Wars. Yeah, which is interesting because that was the breath after Battlestar Galactica, which is. <laughs> More of a Star Wars, you know, analog. I prefer I Battlestar Galactica to Star Wars any day. Sure, sure. But you're like, okay, Planet of the Apes. That's your big sci-fi fandom, your big number <laughs> it one. Is. And it's interesting because I have been watching uh, the classic movies very recently. In fact, I watched one of them last weekend. Um, because the, re- the reason is because, well, A, I hadn't seen them. The ones I had seen, I hadn't seen in like 
30 years. I saw him a lot on TV as a kid because every time I turned around, either the first or the second one was on TV. And every time it was on, whichever one it was, I would watch it to the end. And like, so I'm like, you know what? I, I, I don't even know if I've seen these whole movies ever because I would only watch them on TV. And so what I've learned since going through them is I never saw the beginning to either the first two movies ever in my life. I never saw the stuff on the spaceship in the first movie or any of that. And um, I had never seen the sequels past uh, Beneath. So now I've seen one through four. So the only one I haven't gotten to is the final of the original movies, which is Battle. Oh, that's my for the planet of the apes and i will be watching that very shortly i'm going through them all with uh my very good friend Derek rook who might be listening because i might have told him that we're going to talk about planet of the apes it's possible so um planet of the apes to me is basically a live action two hour long episode of twilight zone that's uh, so well quote written fair. by rod serling yeah um you see a lot now most a lot of what Rod put into it didn't make it to the final. A lot of the things that we think are Rod Serling aren't Rod Serling, but the um, ending is part of it. Is yeah, I mean, I mean that <laughs> that that twist ending, the famous yes. twist ending, of course, is is Rod Serling, and it's it's interesting because it is so very Twilight Zone. It's like insane. Yes. It's yeah, insane. Yeah, it There's so nothing. I, I can else... imagine if that movie was made today. Yeah. It would have been a Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> it really would have. Um, notable for its, you know, advancements in prosthetic makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, by by dumbing down the society and making them not 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 wood age, but you know, not completely primitive, more like old west. We'll call it that. Old West oh, the technology. Ape, oh, like Ape City stuff. Yeah, it's like they, you know, they they have their advances and they have their architecture and they yeah, have but their, it's and it's it's designed uh, in a way at a certain reason, and you can understand right. after you listen to Doctor Zayas talk a bit because yeah. he's the you, you realize okay that Taylor is the antagonist in the story, right? And Zayas is the protagonist, right? You I mean, what? I mean, truthfully, <laughs> <laughs> truthfully, Taylor is like. He's the least likable protagonist of all time, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he's is is such... part of Charlton Heston's. Uh, the guy you think is the good guy is really the bad guy trilogy of yeah. science fiction movies between oh, Green and the Mega Man. <laughs> he's he's very unlikable in all those movies. Well, right? well, we know that you know the character that he plays in in Omega Man, which is Neville from um, Last Man on Earth and mm-hmm. I Am Legend, is. Mm-hmm. The, the antagonist anyway of the story to begin well that is, yeah that is very true he's he's by the end of it you know he sort of doesn't realize into the uh and that he the is last, we're, we're last understanding of the book he he gets it and we're coming to that understanding along with him as we read the story <clears throat> too because we we learn well maybe oh, oh, oh shit this, but uh, it okay, takes man, it takes uh, the entire book up until that last sentence to to convince us too it's it's really interesting that's why it's such a brilliant story one of the best oh yeah i mean i mean R- richard matheson <sighs> richard fucking matheson man like what can i say i gotta reach out to his son uh for the splatterpunk podcast so. oh well that's uh pretty freaking cool it will um, be <laughs> a little cool. nervous, a little fanboy on that. So yeah, I mean, R- Richard Matheson is just one of my favorites. One of my funny. first duties when I got into entertainment journalism was to write a obituary for Matheson who had passed mm. away. 
um, right after I got into journalism on the internet. Mm. And it was, I was in tears as I wrote it. Mm. Tears. Yeah, but he's Planet he's, of the Apes. He's a big one. Uh, but yeah, so he, Matheson didn't have anything to do with this. No, he just had something his, to do with his boss, really Sterling, highly ranked, highly rated um, television shows, Night Stalker <laughs> from the same era. I mean, most of most of the great episodes of Twilight Zone are are written by either Serling or Matheson. So yeah, or you know. yeah, yeah. But and, uh, uh, yeah, Harlan so, Ellison. So why? So when you were a very good boy that week, and little Tommy got to watch Planet of the Apes on a school night, was that your first time seeing the movie? Yes. Okay. This was an, it was a network television premiere of it. Uh, my uncle Joe had uh, eight millimeter um, real real uh, films, black and white films that were silent that um, had captioning su- on them. Super eight. Super eight, or not even Super eight back then. This was back in the early seventies. Okay. Um, there was, it was two reels. You put them on a movie projector and it projected it onto a screen in the house. Okay. You put a, a movie screen up on the house or as we did it in the, in the bedroom on a, on a, on a sheet on the wall. Mm. And we watched the movies on that because he was the first uncle to get that toy. Mm. <laughs> and that's when I first experienced Planet of the Apes was through those. And just, you know, I, I don't, I love Tarzan to begin with. Hmm. Um, the Ronnie Lee Tarzan show just I loved that as a kid and <laughs> anything to do with primates because you know Tarzan's buddy Cheetah mm-hmm. uh, the chimpanzee you just you know probably a bonobo the, you know he wasn't he was a true true chimp okay, that one was okay. <laughs> uh, well you can uh, tell by the facial features <laughs> there's a facial clear difference between a chimpanzee and, and a stature. bonobo and yeah. whether or not they're eating your face. That's yeah. Awesome. And both will eat your face, by the way. <laughs> no chimpanzee is friendly. They just tolerate you until they want to kill you. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's a fact. Giveaway. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so yeah, that, that made me just hatred. love Planet of the Apes. I got coloring books, watched the cartoon show, watched the TV show religiously. Oh, what? Half a four, season it was four, on. 14 episodes. You know, um, I had uh, toys. I had the Mego figures. It was my. It was a merchandising juggernaut long before. I think right, George Lucas got the idea. Right, from. exactly. That's what. That's what I read. That like it, it, it's really the merchandising juggernaut. You know, aimed to kids. Uh, this that preceded Star Wars. Star Wars was just the uh, next one that did it. I wanted the the Ape Village for Christmas, but I got mm-hmm. the Guns of Navarone set instead, so I wasn't too upset. <laughs> it's pretty cool it's pretty crazy man like i i never knew about these old play sets and these old toys i just did not realize that it was that kind of a thing it was because <clears throat> for me i thought star wars was really what started that as far as a like a, a you know a it was an extension thing. of the gi joes my okay. gi joes were 12 inches tall they were as big right. as a barbie and they could yeah, be put in the suggested positions with Barbies too, um, <laughs> which we frequently did. But um, that led to the Mego figures, which started with you know the Planet of the Apes, and then expanded into all the superheroes. They did a lot of DC and Marvel superheroes, and my mom would actually make GI Joe uniforms for me. She would get patterns, mm-hmm. and she would make them for me for my for my for my uh, GI Joes and for my Mego figures. Hmm. Because you could change the clothing on the Migos. 
That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I've been looking up, you know, just this last few weeks, I've been looking up like toys and seeing stuff like that. And I just Look have records. No yeah, yeah. There's like everything. It's just literally like Star Wars. It's just everything, but it came first. Um, so, of course, so the first movie, uh, the first couple of movies were in the 60s. So you had, or at least the first one was. So it was like the first one, the first two were in the 60s. or something. 68, 69, 67, oh, 68 was Planet of the Apes. 69 is beneath the Planet of the Apes. Okay. And uh, then they were just putting them out like literally one a year Yeah, uh, for the next few years. I think there that's was maybe what, a two year gap being. in one of them, but it's crazy. They just, they just, they just kept trying to end the series up until the third one, which is the first time that we get like a true cliffhanger where they actually had a plan. Yes. So you have uh, Escape from Planet of the Apes uh, ends in a way that goes directly into. Well, they Conquest. find the Icarus, they activate it, and they somehow go back in time against the laws of all science. Well, that's and that's science fiction. Yeah, that's going into three, right? <laughs> yeah, that's going into the. Yeah, no, because it doesn't make any sense. Because the science of them going I... going advanced in time <laughs> for time traveling that way was perfect. The science in the first movie is very sound. Really like, isn't it just a matter of like? Because you're isn't it just a matter of they slept too long? Didn't they just sleep too long? They in the ship and and that the meteor shower. And I feel like later they were mentioning like a portal that they went through, like in a, a, a subsequent movie. And I'm like, what fucking portal? There is no portal. They just slept too long. I thought, am I wrong? They slept too long. You're right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Which is perfect, like you said, it's like literally perfect. And then you have, of course, the woman. They went through an asteroid. Just... They went through an asteroid field that messed up their computers. It killed yep. the, the 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 female the woman. Uh, uh, crew member uh, whose yep. name slips my mind at the time. And uh, they drifted because of it. Yeah. And then right, right. The and that's plant, it. The, the, so it's, the Earth's it's gravity like... grabbed the Icarus and pulled it in, and that's what woke them up. <clears throat> Right, so it's it's not dissimilar from like Ripley in Aliens, when Correct. she was drifting out in space for fifty years. She didn't time travel, but she was, uh, you know, to her she time traveled, but not literally. She just was sleeping the whole time. She was in hypersleep. Um, but yeah, I think that that really works very very well, and I do think that the uh, the sequels past two are just complete silliness. But like, no, they're not I'm actually. happy they exist. I'm happy they exist. Here's like, what you have to look at that as. Let, 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 let's, let's just say, let me, let me re rephrase that. It's not that the movies themselves are completely silly, but the premise of why they existed is pretty silly. Like, I definitely don't think there should have been another one after the second one. Um, oh. I think that Charlton Heston was right. He's like, oh, they're never going to figure out a way of getting out of this. So I'll yeah. blow up the whole <laughs> damn planet. And like they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, yeah, you will. We'll never have another That's sequel exactly for sure. What it was too. I know he wrote that in there on purpose so they wouldn't be able to cast him again. Yeah, yeah, because right, he didn't Chuck. want to do the second one at all. And uh, they're like, well, how about if uh, he's like, like they only had him for like a week? Yeah, he's in it for eighteen minutes um, yep. of new footage. I love James Franciscus because I love Valley yeah. Galangi, and when I saw I that love he was in this, I was like, oh yeah. I actually have Guanji on the shelf. I have Guanji on the shelf back here. Oh, there you go. I love, I love, I love that movie. I'm a big Harryhausen fan, but anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, James Franciscus. So I, I alluded to an unpopular opinion 
uh, that I okay. that I had that I wanted to talk about on the show. So let's see let's see if you're gonna agree with me or just completely blast me out of the water. So I think that the second one is my is my favorite. Uh, so beneath beneath the planet of the apes is my favorite of the movies. I haven't seen battle. So of the ones I've seen, it's my favorite. And I know that's sacrilege, but I don't give a, I don't well, give a shit. Battle has think, clearly uh, the lowest budget of all of them. It looks more like a TV show. Oh no 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 no! The next three had subsequently lower budgets. Each one yeah. had a lower budget. Than well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So and, actually, and it has battle the- does show its lower budget somewhat, but they hide it really well. And one of yeah, the one of the caveats I mean, of there that- are more masks in the background. Yes. Like there are more masks in the background where you could see they're, they're okay. Like, you know, yeah. we're going to save money that way, but, oh man, you see that a lot. In, One of the caveats in, in of conquest, it is we finally get Edward G. Robinson playing an orangutan, um, um, <clears throat> lawgiver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <There> <laughs> and, um, Sorry folks in audio land. He you played the Dr. Zayas in the uh, test footage. For the film for um, oh okay that's pretty cool that's yeah. pretty cool um so we finally so, so that's, lo- let, that's let lore me, that you didn't know about that is true that is lore i didn't know about so here here's my here's my reasoning you know and and then like feel free to go on and on but my my reasoning is um the first movie is just so incredibly repetitive the amount of times that taylor gets captured and sort of escapes and then gets hit with something only to be recaptured again and start the cycle over is just too many times. It happens like five or six times. Uh, and it's just, it's just, I can't, I can't deal with it. And then when it's finally, he finally gets into the forbidden zone, we get to the cave and you're like, all right, cool. The whole rest of the movie, it's like, no, there's nothing left. The movie's done. And then you just get like the awesome ending. And the ending is amazing. And as a kid, I really loved Taylor. And I remember being really pissed that he wasn't the star of the second one. I was really pissed. I was really upset. I'm like, who the hell is this Brent guy? I just want Taylor. I love Brent. But, but watching it now, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, Heston is like such a, an unlikable douchebag. Yeah. Like, he's been a jerk <laughs> to his fellow astronauts. They're like, they're like, you know, they've, they've all been through a lot. They've been through a lot and he, and they get there and they're like having a goddamn second to just like, you know, take a breather. And he's like, he's like, well, you're going to sit there and die or shuffle on. Come on. And he's just <laughs> a complete jerk. <laughs> just unnecessarily to absolutely everybody at all times. So abrasive. And, and between that and the, uh, all the repetitive stuff, I'm like, yeah, no, I, is just so charismatic. I like him a lot. Like, that's the thing, like seeing it the second time, seeing I mean, I would say the more, more recent time. Cause I saw these movies, like I said, dozens of times as a child, although apparently never in full, but I didn't realize that until recently, but, um, but yeah, um, I think James Franciscus did a great job. This was his only role that was a like a heroic role um, that he ever now, had. I want you he, to go back and I want you to look at why mm. that story. Ask yourself why does the story have Taylor constantly get captured and recaptured? Honestly, I don't know. It's it's what is in the my story opinion, metaphor? Bad this writing. is a clear. Okay, let's go right out and say, well, all these Planet of the Apes movies are a clear metaphor for social injustice when it comes to people of color. Correct. Okay. Okay, that's what they are. We we, yeah. we we know this. 
So becomes very, very obvious later. But yes, all the caste system, all of you know, you have all a, that stuff. You have a systematic, the ruling class, the bourgeoisie. You have a you have a systematic issue in this country where people of color are constantly in, repeat arrested and released, or arrested and escaped and really and that's again, that is what that is representative of. Okay, well, you know, uh, it doesn't fix it for me. Okay. That defense like, that's that's the justification because, for it. Because I think that I think that like, you know, two or three times is still a lot, you know, like to repeat any action of any story, no matter that's what shows you how much of an idiot he is. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating because like he doesn't even get any like good hits a lot of the times. Like you're like, okay, this time he's gonna get away, and he's like, Oh, he throws a big kick and it misses, and then he gets hit by something. I'm like, oh god, this whole movie's just Taylor getting hit by something at all times. Come on, I mean, the fire hose scene is the best. Uh, honestly, every scene with Zira is the best. She's the greatest oh, character in that Kim movie. She's just an amazing actress. She is Roddy so McDowell. good. I mean, Roddy McDowell is obviously amazing, and he is the heart and soul of, of the whole franchise. He's in every single one except for Beneath. He's the only one he wasn't in. He was directing a movie in Scotland. Every other Apes movie, he's there, and he was in the show, too. He's in every episode of the show, yep. although he plays a, a different character. He plays a character It's, a, it's still fucking Cornelius. But basically, <laughs> well, that was his favorite character of all of them, though, because he played Cornelius, in, and then he played Cornelius. Yeah, don't don't disparage Murray Sevens, either, because, again, this is why I go back to Dr. Zayas. Yeah. You look at that character and, and, and what he is trying to protect. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, as a, you know what, you know what, another thing that got me as an adult, I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. I'm supposed to think that that Zayas is the bad guy here. But as a child, I never thought that. Yeah, I always thought. I never always even, I, it's weird. And like my memory, like going back from all those, all these years, all these decades. Because you know, we're programmed to think that the gorilla, the I never thought the bad that. guy. We were yeah. all, all because of the the gorilla attack on everybody in the beginning. You yeah. are automatically assuming that the gorillas are the aggressors and they're the bad guys. Yeah, they're like the military force. But even then, we don't get like a, a character to really focus on. Well, as we will. You until, will battle until battle, right? <laughs> Which so so battle has these the following things I love about it. It's it sort of repeats the first one in the same way that Evil Dead Two repeats. Evil oh, Dead. you're talking about beneath beneath so it's like it's like slightly it's just better it's shorter it's like yeah this is repetitive it is the cliff notes version of the first one it, but it's the cliff notes version which i think works better and then you have a whole second half to the movie which is great i love i love i love the bonkers shit at the end i love all the mutants i love that I new york did. city I, I love it. I love them like worshiping the bomb. I love all that weird stuff. I think it's so interesting because like you're not expecting anything like that. Nobody had mutants worshiping an atomic bomb on their bingo card. Nobody, not one person. And I never liked that as a kid, but I did. I grew to appreciate what it was representing as an adult. Mm. And now I do enjoy. I mean, it's it's some like heavy-handed social commentary with them worshiping the bomb. Yeah, but it's also poignant as fuck right now. Like, and uh, it's sort of just I don't know. I dig it. I think it's really cool. And honestly, as much as you know, as a kid, I didn't like the whole Taylor thing like, that he wasn't there because for some reason I just like loved him so much. But like, I did as a kid love when he showed up at the end. So. 
now, like I said, I had never seen the beginnings of these movies. So I didn't know that he started off the movie with Nova on the horse. And it's just like, right. picks up the moment that the previous movie stops. It does. Um, so I sort of missed that. But when he showed up at the end, I thought it was the world's most awesome thing ever as a kid. Like, oh my God, that, that was, that blew my mind. Cause I was already like, I, I'd gotten over being mad that he wasn't in the movie. And then he shows up anyway. I thought it was really cool. So anyway, there's, there's just a, a good amount of stuff. And also I just want to mention shout out to general Ursus, who I think is my favorite villain of all the movies. I think he's a really fun villain. He's just like the fun villain. He's this, he's I mean, the Darth Vader of planet of the apes. He is. He looks fantastic. He even um, looks like Darth Vader. Darth Vader looks like Ursus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Design. So that's that's my that's my little defensive beneath. because well, what you're going to encounter with yeah. with Battle for the Planet of the Apes is an explanation from a character named Galen, um, played by Paul Williams. You know, little little guy, little, little Paul Williams, uh, the little musician guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He was uh, the Penguin and uh, Btas. Yep, that's Batman the animated series. Yeah, um, great, great actor, great musician. Wrote some of the greatest songs of all time. Uh, he plays the the uh, Rainbow Connection. Well, let's call him the Isaiah's good guy. Okay. He's clearly a good guy in this one. Um, and Roddy McDowell plays um, Caesar. Right. Yes. Um, his father. <laughs> but uh, well, see, the, the son of Cornelius and Zero. Yes. Yeah. Yep. But. It's a new timeline now. The humans haven't lost their voices. And the way Galen explains it. Is no, not Galen. One. Is 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 his name Galen? Because that's pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that he's named after. Because the... Galen was definitely Roddy's character in the show. Yeah, and he's named after that. Okay. Pretty sure. Let me look. I'm I'm going to double check. Battle for the planet. Of the apes, and I know that that was Roddy's favorite character of the three that he played. He, he liked Galen the best yeah. from the show. Uh, do, 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 Virgil, excuse me, it's oh, Virgil. Virgil, okay. So he's playing Virgil, the orangutan. Explains to him that when his parents went back in time, that it created an alternate timeline, and that is the timeline that they are on. And he explains it as highways. Time and space are like a highway, he says. And it depends on what off-ramp you get off on. And sometimes you come back on a different road. And it's not in all those words, but it's very mm -hmm. similar to that. Mm -hmm. So when you watch Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, same sort of idea. <clears throat> it's the same speech. Yeah, sounds um, like the same. That's exactly where my brain went yeah. when, uh, when the... The ancient one is explaining time travel to yeah. Bruce Banner. So um, Virgil does a fantastic job of explaining the multiverse in this and what has happened and why it's why the humans can speak and why the the, the humans that they're fighting in this in this battle, uh, uh, Colonel Colt Gulch and his group of people. Um, what why that is different? Why the timeline is now different? Mm. Okay, interesting because they're aware of it. Because interesting i i'm excited i'm excited to watch it talk i, I gotta i gotta finish yeah yeah 
And yeah, the, the movie's tragic because one of uh, Cornelius's sons dies, and it, it's. I mean, they're all tragic. They all have the worst endings. My God, I mean, the honestly, I mean, they're all I say stories. the worst, but I mean, they're fantastic endings. They're all fantastic, tragic endings. Yeah, the, the, conquest, the ending of Conquest, like the the climactic part of it, not the final shot. The final shot of the movie is garbage. But which 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 version? <clears throat> uh, you well, know, there's I, two I, endings, right? Uh, no. So I guess the no, one you I'm don't. Talking... There's two so endings I... to conquest. Okay. So the one I'm talking about then is, is, you know, uh, let's, let's just spoil it. So Cornelius Zira and we think it's baby Caesar get gunned down and it, it is just violent as all hell. Oh, that is the real um, ending. I'm talking, that's, 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 that's return to that's conquest, right? No well, escape. Conquest, that's, a, I'm sorry. Escape. Escape. escape conquest. Escape. Okay. Cause conquest has two endings. Oh yeah, Conquest has the more violent ending, yes. and and there's like one of them, isn't one of them? He kills the mayor, and one of me doesn't. Correct. Isn't that what it is? Correct. And one of them, the I was saying the wrong one. I meant one I meant of them is he has a, there's a merciful ending. That there's a there is a very violent merciful ending, and uh, a not so violent violent ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a lot more violence in that in that fourth one in Conquest. My God. Yep, but and a lot of the ending... characters that are in that movie are in battle. Okay. Like the the like uh the head of security. Yes that's, that's the bad guy. That's the main antagonist in battle. Okay. Um, the, cool. The the black guy that helps out uh yep. uh Caesar the whole time he's the main character in oh cool battle. Yeah, I mean, we started to have some some continuity with some of the side characters in the third one because uh, we we get to meet Ricardo Montalban and then we see him in the fourth one, which was really fun. I I loved that through line. That was a great through line. I wish we had gotten to see more of Ricardo Montalban's character. I thought he was a truly noble guy, and there aren't too many of those around. But um, you know, he raised Caesar himself. It was pretty cool. Um. Now, have you watched the 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 newer Planet of the Apes movies? So yeah, I've seen. Um, I I didn't see the third one, and I know the the there's a new trilogy getting started, um, which I'm excited for. I do want so to see Source of War. I think War is the one I haven't seen. Oh, you need to catch up on them because they're all fantastic. So I mean, no. So I, it's Rise, and then what's the second one? Dawn. Dawn. Which I I loved War. both. I mean, Dawn was amazing. War is pretty much a reimagining of battle. Okay, okay. Um, you have a insane military guy who wants to wipe out the apes. Same situation. It's Woody Harrelson in this, so it's better. <laughs> Woody, anything, any, Woody Harrelson is literally bacon for a movie. <laughs> Bacon makes anything better. Woody Harrelson makes anything that he's in better. He, he, even Solo was better because he was in it. Well, I, mean, I, I liked him. Yeah. I, I <laughs> you can't argue with Woody Harrelson. So, you know, and, and uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. Check it out. Yeah. I So the plan was <clears throat> I wanted to watch all the originals, and then I was going to rewatch all of those to get caught up for the, the new one that's coming out. Um, definitely, definitely the plan. I might even, I, I might even for the hell of it, rewatch the Tim Burton movie because, you know, I'm in, I'm in an ape rabbit hole right now and I might as well make sure you have a nice pillow with you. Now, you know, I, uh, the movie puts me to sleep every time I watch it. 
I don't hate it. Uh, and and honestly, like it's it's just got such it's just uh, it's uh, Mark Wahlberg. It's the Wahlberg factor. Uh, I just can't. I can't. And I know, like, he, we're from the same place, and I'm supposed to like him. I uh, uh, you don't have to like him. No. Tell him what he is. Although uh, person. I I love I love some of the cast in that. I mean, I think that uh, I think all the makeup's amazing. Michael Clark Duncan is incredible oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, uh, I, I, Tim Roth is, is great. The, His, uh, the character the character Thade has a has an amazing look, and he did a good job. He's kind of a little too over the top cartoon mustache twirling for me. But and like, again, making the chimpanzees the aggressors that was a good idea. Yeah, it was a it was a great idea to have an evil chimp like that. I thought that was so freaking cool. And uh, Helena bon- Bonham Carter is just yeah. awesome in that movie, like really great. And Paul Giamatti's great in that movie. He's like yes. so funny. He's, and they didn't but overplay that's his. It's a bad story. It is. It's just not a great story, unfortunately. But um, not and, that any of them had great stories to begin with. But this was just bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I see that's. You just kind of said it. It's not like the stories are ever that incredible. It's kind of part and parcel, you know. It's like Godzilla, you know. I I like so much of the presentation that I'm having a great time, and it's okay if it's not like the best movie. I don't care. I love them anyway. I love all sorts of stuff, all sorts of quality. So my bar is just ever fluctuating. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I get it. It wasn't great, but um. There are great things about it, and for sure, the practical effects are basically one of the best top, things about that, as top notch as you can. And also, see. the ending being what Pierre Boulle had envisioned, which was a. Have you read the book? I have not read the okay. book, but I was considering book, it now that I'm in this. Okay, like, the book is told mood. from the perspective of two astronauts who are told a story of this man, this human, who uh, arrives on a planet uh, that is run by apes. And they are a technological society. So the ending of the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. was accurate to the novel. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. It was a planet of apes. And then you learn it the the twist in the novel is that the astronauts can't believe it's a real story. It's so fanciful because a, a human can't speak. You learn out that these astronauts are apes. Oh, so cool! They're so, it's Cornelius and Zira. Oh, so there was neat. precedence. That's neat for what had happened with Escape from Planet of the Apes oh. in. The source material. I love that. That's really cool. That's so really with that cool. education, now you can look at it in a different yeah viewpoint. Doesn't you may not may change, may not change. And that well, that that reminds me of a Twilight Zone. Do you, do you know which one? Oh shit! Remind me, Invader. Oh or in, yes, Invaders. It's the uh, Agnes Moorhead. Yes, episode where she's she her. Her no dialogue except uh, vocal fluctuations. Uh, mm-hmm. She just does such a great job with her facial expressions and that, and you realize that she's an alien. <laughs> yeah, the last the last moment, the the very tiny alien that come out of the saucer that's been like dogging her the yep, entire episode, Americans. and uh, 
and they're just Americans and she's this giant. Um, very, very fun. Um, that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't know that, but I, I was considering the story. book. What's, oh, oh, really? I think it might be. That yeah. was a Harlan Elson story? I, I think. Invaders? I mean, I that, that so. is one of my favorites. I got a soft spot for Agnes Moorhead. She was uh, born in the town next to me. They had to convince her to do that, too. It's one of my lame claims of fame. Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was an awesome one. But anyway, um, Planet of the Apes, man. I mean, I think we've, we've kind of done Oh, it that's a Matheson story. Okay, there you go. See? All comes back, back to, Matheson. to Matheson. Yeah, there you go. Pretty good. Um, Tommy, it's been a fun time. It's been a fun wow, conversation. This, this was epic. I haven't been on um, a podcast in a while, so thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. And, uh, you know, you're welcome back anytime you would like to promote something. Uh, before we get out of here, can you tell people where they can find your stuff? And Moral Dilemmas. Remind them, remind them what you got and what any, anything's coming out or. Any appearances you got coming up? Any of that? Oh, okay, uh, March, St. Patrick's Day weekend, I am going to be at Collector's Con in Syracuse, New York at the State Fairgrounds. Um, then uh, a couple weeks later, I'm going to be at AuthorCon 3 with everybody. The weekend after that, I'm going to be at the Steampunk Festival in Western New York. Uh, that's what I have booked currently for the next couple of weeks or months, as the case is. Um, and Moral Dilemmas, you can get anywhere you buy your books. Just go there and ask them for it. They'll get it for you. Uh, I don't care if it's Walmart. You can get it from them, too. Um, buy a book where a bunch of babies get killed in it from Walmart. Yes! Fight <laughs> the system. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, ThomasRClark.com. You can get stuff from me there. My merch store through there as well. Um, great um, branding designs I've got from Deborah Coldiron. Uh, check them out. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Pretty cool, man. And we'll be looking out for your new podcast when you get that up. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're going to be doing the interviews this year. Um, so I'm going to be uh, as I am at conventions and whatnot through the year. I'm going to be uh, stealing away some people and talking to them and recording those conversations. And we're going to edit those down into a documentary style podcast. Very cool. Um, so there's no talking over. There's no ums, uhs, or e's. Uh, throughout it and it's gonna be pretty cool pretty cool and what's that gonna be called it's gonna be the history of splatterpunk history of splatterpunk we'll the be... rise and fall and rise of splatterpunk the rise and fall and rise nice yeah very cool definitely be looking out for that um well thanks again i'll uh i'll hit this little button here we and we have and uh i'll let you right out of that brig so okay step is your... <laughs> look out there's smoky down here oh my god it's getting up here too Ah, uh, it's bad. Um, but you you go and you be free and write terrible things. We love it. Yes. Um, come back anytime, Tom. It was a good time. Guys, that wraps up the episode. If you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's bonus journey over the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and Twitter as well as being part of the Inebriard Podcast Network. Retro Reductivus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so if you get a chance, please check out our sister shows like Epic Tales from the Sewers with our co-host, Justin Cooper. Throw it on Thursday with Patsy and Ashes, Splash Pages, Bear at Night, Nerds of Unusual Origin, which has nothing to do with Oregon, but sometimes I say it wrong, and 
and confuse people. For more information or to subscribe to us or any of these great shows, please visit thedorkening.com and be sure to check out our killer sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for. That's coffee you drink, not that you cough, Tom, just in case you were wondering. Yes. I have been your home. (laughs) I've been your home. Just take off your shoes. Parasite Steve. Good night, everybody. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.